passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I think you're muted, John. <laughs> Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. Lovely stuff. I'm doing well. How are you? People were so excited there. Like, oh, we just got way tonight. Thank God. <laughs> I'm here. How uh, are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. March 1st. Beginning of the month, the best month of the year, of course. You know what happened uh, 20 years ago today? What? Maybe my favorite wrestling match ever. It was Masawa, Kobashi, Pro Wrestling Noah, and Kobashi begins his legendary GHC title run that would go for mm. years until 2005. A classic title run. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't Not, know if I've uh, seen it, actually. Really? This was yeah, uh, I don't know. this would be on my short list of like greatest matches of all time. I think March first, two thousand three. I think that one's up there. It's up there for sure. Well, uh, Way was not celebrating the anniversary of that match today. Instead, um, he was getting ready for Dynamite tonight and a packed weekend that is uh, going down. We've got Revolution to talk about, UFC two eighty five to discuss. We're going to be back on Friday night with a with a packed show as well, but. We also want to let people know that UK Rampage also went down 31 years ago. For those lucky enough to be in the Sheffield Arena, brand new Rewind Away covering this particular edition of uh, WWF touring the continent of Europe and stopping in Sheffield, England, where that crowd got to see their their home country star, Davy Boy Smith, go one-on-one with arch-rival... Man forever linked to Davy Boy Smith Jr., the one and only Erwin R. Scheister. Do the British pay their taxes? That is the question that um, Davy Boy Smith is trying to defend right now in this war. But uh, was your that- was, was your graphic design here designed to be a, a prelude to their return to the UK later that summer? Um, it wasn't so much. Oh. Not really. You could have um, just blindly taken credit for that as some foreshadowing. I'll tell you what it was. It was, um, I mean, the the thing that was really notable on the show, of course, was Shawn Michaels versus Randy Savage. You know, I think one of only two matches that have been recorded that featured the two of them. And um, I realized I had already made this graphic for an edition of the British Wrestling Experience when they 
talked about this show and I it pretty much looks exactly the same except um with Sean and Randy and I didn't want to reuse it. So um <laughs> you can listen to our takes and you can go back to the BWE and listen to uh their takes as well. Look at the look at the similarities here. I mean, you know, I I certainly have a style. Look at this. Look at this. Look how yeah. you look look how you've grown, way. Not that's at three all, years. Actually. That's three years of a uh, graphic advancement, yeah, right it. there. Yes, one of one of the rare match. Sean and Randy had two singles matches in their whole career, and it was on this tour. And one of them being on this show. Yeah, the, two televised matches, two recorded. We should say they they were wrestling each other on the tour. Yeah, I think those were the only two. I think they only had two matches on the tour. Oh, okay, I'm pretty sure. Did you see otherwise? I thought, I, I thought cage match told me otherwise, but you could be right, John. Okay, well, they they had a limited amount of matches, so if you were yeah. if you were checking out this tour, uh, you got to see it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about what is coming up this week, but we're going to uh, dive into news off the top, and we wanted to start with Kenny Omega because he was on the sessions with Renee Paquette, and some interesting answers that came out of this discussion, and we're actually going to hear uh, from this clip uh, a pair of clips actually. The first being uh, Kenny being asked about the the all out brawl and the. Uh, and the attitude of the locker room backstage uh, in the in the months since. Do you feel like since that 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 atmosphere backstage has somewhat cleared up? Yeah, no, I, I really do. Um, there there was a while when, and I can understand the confusion. It's sort of like, hey, we know this thing happened. We heard this thing happened. It's all over the dirt sheets. Why don't we know what happened? And it's like we, we, we're gone. And we're kind of sworn to secrecy. We can't say anything legally. So that was the that was the poopy part where I was like, well, why doesn't anyone tell us what's happening? And then you're forced to form your own opinion or your or to come up with your own theory as to what exactly happened. Yes. He was essentially just talking about how they have been sworn to secrecy, that they cannot talk about what what went down back in September at All Out. And again, Bringing up the word legally, which we've never got much beyond this. Like, there is no known legalities attached to any of this. No one is being uh, charged. Nobody is suing the other side. Um, maybe there has been threats of such. Uh, but again, that is that has never been uh, stated as such. But whatever, there is their internal reason that they don't want to have any of the parties involved talking about this. I have a hard time imagining that uh, in time that there will not be uh, more uh, shared by those directly involved. But at this point, it seems like all of them, uh, they can't share a locker room, but they can all agree we will not talk about this. Yeah, I, I guess legal you know, ramifications might simply be the threat of legal action. You know, that that could be it. But for whatever reason, I mean, that doesn't make that big of a to, difference. To I guess. give your side of the story, though, it would be one thing. It's if if you lied about what happened and you would be prone to a defamation well, what's, suit. Well, what's a like, lie? I mean, it's one side of the story versus another. Somebody could claim that you're lying, even though it's your truth. I mean, it's uh, t- to me, it is, uh, you know, for it's, it's a CM Punk who's been directly involved in a you know litigation coming off of a podcast. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know how how um, antsy you would be to jump right back into a, a situation like that. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. not, not, none of the sides are talking about it. So I they mean, can make, the, they can make references to it um, in a in a wrestling match, but yeah. um, they not can talk. They, they can talk about it on a podcast here. Like, th- w- is this not considered talking about it? I guess more more he was more so referring to the details of what exactly went down. It seems like, and and Kenny, Kenny lamenting the fact that he doesn't think this will ever come out 
Yeah, and when it comes to the details of what happened, I think most can piece together what happened um, in terms of uh, you know that that side. I mean, y- you have you have seen enough of like the blow by blow of what happened. I think the idea of Kenny explaining sort of the circumstances of what led up to that, uh, I definitely sense from this answer frustration on his part that they, they cannot um, kind of give their side of of how it all went down. Mm-hmm. And if you're, and if you're equally frustrated that your fan base is forming their own opinions, well, that's sort of by you making this decision, this pact to not talk about it. That comes with the territory that people are going to draw conclusions and they are going to pick their sides of, you know, who, who was right, who was wrong. And, and how much this has ultimately been a, a hindrance to this company for months at this point and how far removed they are from it now. And this will resurface, I think, once once Punk is healthy, this becomes another subject of how AEW plans to use or not use CM Punk. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if, you know, hearing Kenny's thoughts here changes a whole lot um, for me, you know, in that regard. I, I feel like... You know, the moment that that Punk does become ready, I, I feel like Tony is still very much probably wanting, you know, him to be a part of the locker room. Um, um, I, you know, and I, I don't know if that changes so much, you know, from hearing Kenny's words here. Um, but it's it's refreshing, you know, hearing at least some comment on it from one of the participants. It's certainly going to be a story that's attached to all of the men involved um, for the rest of their careers. Yeah, and it does bring up the question like we had this going into full gear was the Kenny Omega and the young bucks, whether they would be put out in front of the media. And then with them losing the match that night to death triangle, they traditionally, they put the winners of the key matches in front of the media. So they were not there. And, you know, it'll bring about the question, like, do you have Omega and the young bucks in front of media for the first time uh, this coming Sunday? If, you know, the situation arises again because they they have not had to face that kind of questioning th- thus far. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been, you know, six months and I don't know how long you could really have voted. Uh, you know, uh, you can't keep them away from media forever. I'm sure they've they've done some interviews since then, but um, they'll just ha- kind of have to field it. And if the if, if it's a Tony Khan, you know, no comment, then it's a no comment. Um, or maybe we get something like what we got from the Renee podcast. I think you would get more out of those three than obviously than Tony Khan as this mm-hmm. answer uh, yeah. indicated uh, from Renee. The other uh, interesting uh, aspect was Renee asking about Kenny Omega's uh, contract status that has been reported on uh, last week in the Observer, noting that his deal was to be up in January, but because of the time missed, that time has been tacked onto his contract and. It's sort of a mystery now of like when the exact uh, date is up with AEW, but he automatically becomes a highly, highly coveted figure uh, for for this year in terms of interest outside and within. So here's Kenny uh, being asked about his contract. I would be remiss to not ask you. You can answer however you want. But yeah, it seems like time is ticking down. I mean, as one of, again, you know, we can list off all the things that you've done in AEW, all the things you've done throughout your career. What do you want the rest of your career to look like? Wow. Um, sometimes, you know, the first thing that pops into your mind is probably how you really feel. And the first thing that came to my mind wasn't, you know, a venue. It wasn't a title. It wasn't some kind of accolade. 
I feel like whatever it is that I can contribute to wrestling, I want to be able to help people in the, the next generation realize the potential as quick as possible or quicker than I was able to. If I can help give anyone advice or to help push them into a certain direction that can lead to something good for them career-wise down the road, that is where I'd like to see myself. I don't feel like I have too many goals or aspirations of my own anymore. No goals or aspirations of his own anymore. He wants to help the next generation. Way, where can he do that best? Um, I I kind of feel like it's it's anywhere he chooses, right? Um, obviously, like you know, everybody's time as a pro- active performer is going to be limited, and I feel like the next best thing after that is to have some sort of you know, coaching role. Um, I you know, obviously WWE has a, a pretty established system at this point in the performance center, but um. What what a full circle moment. The guy who walked out of Deep South hating this industry would end up coming back to be running yeah. the PC. Right, right. But um, I, I also feel like that conversation is like a long time away. And I don't even know if that would be part of the negotiations that he would have, you know, for this current contract. Um, it, 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 you know, it, it's nice to hear Kenny's long term goals. But um, it's I mean, that sounds like a pretty common path for anybody who's a who's a wrestler who's no longer wrestling. I almost feel like AEW, at least right. I, I feel any company would, would probably be happy to have him. How good is is he as a coach, though? Like, I mean, we know he does some agenting and, and all that. But I, I mean, we can't really speak on that. No, but I can say as a interview subject he is very good at giving a long answer uh that gets around having to directly answer about contract status i mean he just mm-hmm. you know he gave us a, a philosophical answer uh which is appreciated but uh you know obviously very smart to uh not tip his hand of anything because b- believe me i think he will be um he will be a big time free agent and could stand to be uh you know cert- certainly um it's going to bear out of, you know, where is for him this referendum of four years of AEW? Is it where I envision this company being from day one uh, to now? Yeah. Am I happy with where everything has gone? And if not, I'm, I mean, you can certainly, th- there was an, another line in here about him talking about how there, there's times he, wishes he could go just back to being a wrestler without the pressures of like the EVP title and such. And WWE, he talked about it the last time before he signed with AEW, the idea of I could just turn my brain off, go to WWE and just, um, you know, it's, it doesn't come with the same pressures of a situation like this. And it could be very attractive for him, especially in an environment where he can work with, all new talent, younger talent. Um, there's there's a lot of positives to a WWE option at this stage of his career. They made a big play for him, you know, um, four years ago. I I don't see any reason why they wouldn't right now. Um, you know, seeing how I mean, Cody Rhodes is about the headline of WrestleMania and how protective they've been of Cody and how well Cody is doing. I I think everybody who's any sort of name is, um, unless you're a John Moxley, and it seems like you know he he's somebody who might be an exception who's pretty adamant about want, not wanting to go back um Moxley everybody and jericho who both signed before their deals were up like jericho mm-hmm. had time left and he they made a very public thing about it jericho would have 
believe me, he could have played the game and opted yep. not to. True. Although I think Omega um, has a lot more value than Jericho at this point. You know, he, he's younger. I think they're, they're that much bigger of a name in terms of like, I think, a, a, a relevant pay-per-view level draw, if you want to call it that. Um, he's also never had that taste of the WWE. And, and I, I could believe that he might want that big stage a little bit more than somebody like Chris Jericho, who's, who's already had it. But in either case, whether or not he truly wants to be there, of course, it's to his advantage to publicly play po both sides and to keep, keep the offers coming in. Um, it only helps. Do you, do you envision Omega and the Bucks being a package deal? Do you think that they hmm. would ultimately? What's the contract status on the Bucks? They have, I mean, this is their contract year over this. this but how do the injuries kind of play play in? Well, that know? that goes with all of these contracts as well. Um, is that you know if you have missed time, that you can have time tacked on. So contracts become you know a bit of a guessing game if you don't have the action. And and sometimes even for the wrestlers that are not aware of when yeah. their deals are exactly up. I mean, you know, if it's around the same time, it, it 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 might not be too crazy to think that you know maybe maybe. Some one of them would set out for the rest of the the period until you know all of them are up and and they can all negotiate together. But um, from the figures that I've kind of heard, like you know being battered around for those guys like four years ago, um, I I mean they didn't negotiate together back then, so maybe I I wouldn't necessarily think that they would this time around. But it would be a hell of a statement to have all three of them come in. Yeah, I mean. Especially if you have like the Saudi investment fund uh, upping the uh, the talent budget. Oh God, yeah, mm -hmm. they could get they could get whatever they want. Well, uh, we're going to move on to uh, Endeavor held their earnings call just the other day, going over their fourth quarter and uh, full year results from 2022, and specifically their sports division, which mainly consists of the UFC and to a lesser extent the Professional uh, Bull Riding uh, Association, the PBR. Are you uh, a consumer of any uh, professional bull riding way? I don't know if I've ever seen it. No. It, yeah, well, it, 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 these it, are the it, pillars of which uh, Endeavor's sports uh, division is, is upon, UFC and PBR. Uh, they, so the sports division brought in uh, $301.4 million for the quarter, which was up 9% from the same quarter last year, and $1.3 billion in revenue for the division in 2022, which was up 20%. So this was a record year of revenue for both the UFC and PBR. So huge, huge year for fighting and bull riding. Uh, this is coming from Ari Emanuel. And they also stated that they expect to have the same number of UFC cards this year, but are planning more fight nights outside of the Apex, which has been this, um, you know, it's, it is not made for the greatest environments for fights, but it's a company owned building. And thus they have not had to. You save all of this money by just running inside your venue and you're making your rights fees by producing these cards. But I think there is a big compromise when it comes to the atmosphere that all these other like every other form of sports and entertainment are back in front of crowds. And then we get these Apex cards that take you right back to 2020. So I, I won't be sad to see the Apex cards be uh, lower in number. Um, also noting it was their highest year of sponsorships in UFC history, and there was a statement, or at least a question asked about a potential WWE purchase, and Ari Emanuel stated, as it relates to WWE, it's an unbelievable product. Vince, you know, created a great business. 
We've had a long-standing relationship with them over two decades. We're doing on-location business with them, streaming business with them. His business is really valuable, but we're not going to do anything as it relates to changing our leverage position right now, which uh, seemed to be a, a fancy way of him stating um, too rich for our blood uh, in this, hmm. which is pretty notable because I think Endeavor, of all the companies out there, they would have been on your short list. And yep. if you're going based on the uh, the CNBC reporting from a few weeks ago that the Comcast is uh, kind of – they're not um, headstrong into the idea of this uh, purchase of WWE. This is as public a statement as you're going to get from Ari Emanuel and also uh, goes against um, a statement from another Endeavor executive several months ago um, – that it stated openly, like, yeah, we'd be, we'd love to talk about WWE. It seems that now that it's a realistic uh, buy for the company, that they seem to be standing away from 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 this one and taking in WWE, even though there would be a lot of synergy with the UFC and they they know how to run a company like WWE because of their experience now for the last six years with UFC. Mm. How much of this has to do with, do you think, you know, Vince McMahon putting out there that he wants this for $9 billion? I think the $9 billion is probably scared a lot of people off. Um, Endeavor also has a huge amount of debt that they are operating within. They were able to pay off a significant amount of it in uh, the fourth quarter, but it, it's a gigantic amount of debt that they have as well. So the idea of taking on um, it, taking on a company like WWE, and if we're talking in excess of eight billion dollars, we're getting into nine billion. Which I, th- I think, honestly, if we're if we're talking nine billion, I think we're almost down to one company, and that's that's the Saudi fund. Unless you're mm-hmm. going to get some very um, strategic partnership of various uh, companies that could finance something even close to nine billion, I would say that is. I, I would imagine that that has scared some people off. Has this news affected the stock at all? The WWE stock, yeah. When the when the nine billion figure first came out, it did shoot up a little bit, but it has come back down. They're trading more so, more so for Endeavor, you know, being out of the running. It seems. Uh, well, today um, WWE stock is down to eighty three sixty seven, which is below what it has been trading uh, around for the last month. Like they had been hovering around eighty six eighty seven. Um, so today, yeah, below eighty four dollars. Um, so not that significant, though. It looks like not not significant, and- but I do sense that if 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 there is no significant inroads on, on the sale talks, like mm-hmm. there is sort of okay, if you're taking Comcast off the board and you're theoretically taking Endeavor off the board, like who are these buyers? And if all these candidates are sort of dropping out publicly, then who are going to be bidding for these rights or yeah. for, for the company? I mean, yeah, or none. It could be none. It could it, be none. Is, it, is and that they, a more likely option after this? I mean, I'm certain that in time we will look back and, you know, how that nine billion figure gets out and what was the impetus behind that figure getting out? Was it designed mm-hmm. to scare people off? Um, they're they're going to have to make a decision because if they're not selling the company in the next month or two, then they have to like this is the time that the television deals are getting solidified. Like it was it was spring 2019 when they finalized their deals with NBC and Fox the last time around. So we're mm. right at that time that they would want to be, you know, hitting hitting the fourth quarter of those negotiations. And mm. if a a Comcast is not buying, well, they certainly would like to retain Raw, I would imagine. Yeah. 
So that is uh, the latest on the WWE and Endeavor. Uh, Sonya Deville is uh, was apparently arrested last week uh, in Atlantic City. This was reported through Fightful and TMZ. So she apparently uh, was in New Jersey and a-, a valet discovered a handgun was in her glove box in her car and police were called. And she ended up being arrested because she did not have a permit for this handgun. Uh, the, the handgun apparently is registered in Florida, but she doesn't have a permit for it in New Jersey. And apparently, um, she got this handgun after the whole incident back in 2020 when that stalker, uh, broke into her home and tried to kidnap her. So, um, certainly has reason to be, uh, protecting herself, but. It looks like this was just a issue of not having the, the permit in the right state. She is going to have a hearing later this month. I would imagine that this is not going to be too severe of a penalty for her. But um, nonetheless, uh, an arrest made on this, which is, um, I don't know, um, seemed to be an extreme uh, response to. Uh, but I guess, hey, it's a firearm without a permit. And you yeah, have to gun, treat it with seriousness. Yeah, gun laws. Um very seemingly wildly according to to state and you know if you're going to bring firearms to another part of the country you probably should do your due diligence obviously in a story like this there's a whole lot of public sympathy for why Sonia Deville um has chosen to carry a firearm um i i would hope that you know um the the punishment would be lenient for in her case um but it, i think it's a good reminder to carry responsibly and and this was a responsible yeah, I mean, it's just like you, you got to have, you know, the proper paperwork in store. But I, I, I don't foresee this being too giant uh, of an issue for her beyond this uh, court appearance that's coming up. Uh, very interesting story involving Reels, which is the, uh, the recent home of MLW. They have, uh, this was a, a story from Variety. Um, Reels has landed a distribution, uh, deal on Peacock. Reels linear feed will be available to Peacock Premium and Peacock Premium Plus subscribers starting March the 1st. And of course, there's a tie in here because as it's noted in this story, Peacock is also the exclusive streaming provider of WWE wrestling because of this category exclusivity. When reels airs major league wrestling live on Tuesday evenings at 10 PM, it's linear channel won't be available on the platform during that time. But Major League Wrestling wraps up after 10 weeks, making Reels Tuesday 10 p.m. linear offerings available after that. So, I mean, just maybe uh, adding more more fuel to this. Uh, so this Reels thing is only for 10 weeks on it for that, MLW? And that was unknown until huh. the story came out with Variety that this is similar to Power Slap, that it's got a 10-week run. And hmm. from there, I guess we will see if Reels renews it or not. Um, I, I would think not after something like this, don't you think? Like, well, it's you. You make this deal, and MLW is sort of a hangup for you, where they have where Peacock now needs to get um, fill in programming for this one hour of your block every week, um, and becomes an interesting question in regards to this suit that um, yeah. you know that that MLW has you know stated how WWE has prevented. But can you can you cite like a, a, a present day occurrence if you're filing a lawsuit for things that have occurred in the past? No, I, I, honestly, there there would be nothing to this either. I mean, they're they're mm. entering a deal of their own free will with a company that has an exclusivity when it comes to this genre of entertainment. Right. Um, what's interesting though is that in the suit, like WWE has argued that 
MLW, like their competition is not pro wrestling. Like it's, it's everything. And we shouldn't be just lumped in as pro wrestling. But in this right. case, well, what's, yeah. why can't MLW <laughs> and WWE coexist in this non-existent genre? It's everything uh-huh. is our competition. But in this case, well, MLW is specific to what we're doing. <laughs> that is a very good point. Yeah. Um, unfortunate you know for for the little guy i suppose in a story like this in mlw um um you know (laughs) what what can you do i guess once something like this happens and i don't know a deal upon a deal seems to you know um coincidentally affect you maybe they might argue it wasn't so much a coincidence but i i you know i i ultimately don't know if mlw can do a whole lot about this i want this thing to get to trial i want jerry mcdivitt and mark kasowitz head to head i put this on fight tv put this anywhere you want put this on reels put this on the peacock stream in that 10 p.m hour um i i would love to see the, these two lawyers uh go, go at it but i don't know if we will get to uh that point the mlw they've got what like another week or so before that that 21 days is up that they have to file that response as well to see if this case keeps going yeah, because the case has uh, currently been dismissed, and they have seven more days to file an, amend- uh, an amendment. Yeah, yeah. So next week we'll either have a continuation or or the dismissal will 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 stand on that front. Ratings notes from the past couple of days: Raw did a million seven hundred sixty eight thousand viewers, six hundred sixty nine thousand, or a point five one in the eighteen to forty nine demo, uh, down twelve percent and nine percent respectively, uh, coming off the big show following Elimination Chamber. But that was still good enough to be first on cable. Uh, they fell twelve percent in viewers throughout the three hours, and doing over two hundred seventy two thousand viewers in Canada. So um, lower than than uh, recent. Uh, Recent two weeks or so, but um, they're going to get a big bump next week uh, with the return of Cena and a big show in Boston. And uh, yeah, they're they're still cruising on Monday nights. NXT, on the other hand, did uh, 555,000 viewers and a .13 in the demo. So um, only a two-week low for the demo, but for their viewers, it was their lowest viewership since December the 6th. So not enough people were interested in what was a great main event between Carmelo Hayes and Tyler Bate. Uh, but they were 21st on cable and uh, maybe a bad sign for MLW. They were not listed among the top 150 cable programs on Tuesday, according to Showbuzz Daily. So after some growth in week three, uh, week four would not suggest that they had um, a good week on uh, on Tuesday night. And then the uh, the A&E numbers from Sunday, uh, the Jake Roberts stock um, down eight and a half percent from the NWO one the previous week and down 20 percent in the demo. And then rivals with Mankind and Undertaker did four hundred and twenty one thousand viewers and a point one two in the demo. So they actually uh, ranked ahead of the biography um, with rivals uh, finishing ahead. So that is the A&E notes and news coming out of uh, the week. And uh, before we wrap up, just want to mention that uh, John Jones is back this Saturday night, UFC 285. This will be John Jones' first fight in over three years, and he is making his heavyweight debut, which uh, MMA Fighting did a really great uh, retrospective look at John Jones and his talk of moving up to heavyweight. You know, it was 2012 that he first talked about the idea of moving up to heavyweight. It's taken him 11 years, and he is finally going to make the move up to heavyweight. Uh, do you have any interest in this fight, Way? Um, 
maybe mildly in the result, just to kind of see here, you know, how, how good he looks. Um, just from a, a, an athletic standpoint, I'm, I'm very curious to see how, um, an elite level athlete, um, ages due to inactivity and whether or not he can maintain, um, you know, um, his, his abilities with that time. So I, I'm here interested in hearing the result, but not really so much to watch the fight. Yeah. This is one. It's, there's so many unknowns. I would, you know, it, it would be very hard to pick against John Jones, but there's I, like I would just stay away from this fight if you were someone that's uh, that bets on fights. It, it, again, it's been three years; it's a new weight class, and with that comes so many questions. How his, you know, he he was not the fastest light heavyweight to begin with, but he's going up obviously to a slower division. Uh, Cyril Gon is, by the way, on the countdown show. They. They bring up Cyril Gaon's loss to Francis Ngannou and the editing job they did. They were able to recap this fight without saying the name Francis Ngannou or showing him on the screen. And it was amazing. Like you have to watch this blurb from the countdown (laughs) show. They literally do not say his name or show Francis Ngannou, but they do cover Gaon's loss uh, a year ago. Um, a lot of close-ups, I, I imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Arena shots and close-ups <laughs> of Gon looking disappointed. So just enough that they could say, we covered it. But they, it was like he fought himself. He lost to a ghost that night. Yeah, unbelievable. But, you know, Gon was out-wrestled in that fight by Francis Ngannou, who is hardly the wrestler that John Jones is. Um, but with Jones, it's... I actually watched his last three fights uh, this week, uh, the Anthony Smith fight, and then Tiago Santos, who blew out both his knees in the fight in July of 2019, uh, which was a very close fight, even with the the injuries that Jones won by split decision. And then the Dominic Reyes fight, which I'm definitely in the minority. The night of the fight, I scored it 3-2 for Jones. Many scored it for Reyes. And I watched it again this week. I still narrowly give it 3-2 to John Jones. But it was the most human that John Jones looked in a fight. And there is certainly a style here of Cyril Gaon. If he comes out and puts on the pressure immediately and gives Jones just forces him to react that uh, I think that that is the key early in the fight. But it's again, there are just so many questions about John Jones. He's 35 years old now. And this is hardly someone who took these three years off and has lived a life of serenity. Um, it's not getting a whole lot of focus this week, but this is a guy that in 2021 uh, was arrested on a domestic battery charge in Las Vegas when he was at a, at a hotel with his fiance and children. And, uh, officers arrived and his fiance, his then fiance, had like a swollen lip and uh, and blood was seen, which she denied that there was anything physical beyond hair pulling by Jones. But um, ultimately, the domestic battery charge got dropped and then he pleaded no contest because when the police found him and arrested him, he started banging his head onto the police vehicle, onto the hood of the police car. And that's a felony and ended up pleading no contest to that, got a fine and had to attend anger management. But, you know, like John Jones, it is just it has been constant issues in in his life that you have to wonder um, what what toll that takes on him, where that God given talent got him through so many fights. And at this point, 35, it's like your your body starts to turn on you at a certain age. And when that natural um that natural ability that you've relied on and not to say like the guy was a super hard worker, very talented fighter, but 
you know, the first Gustafson fight, like he pretty much said he barely prepared for that fight and he won this war. And that's just that's your natural talent getting you through uh, tough situations. But um, very curious to see how big this fight is. John Jones, it's typically him with a big opponent like a Daniel Cormier that has done the biggest business. And Cyril Gaon is not the the biggest opponent uh, for him name wise, uh, but certainly a winnable fight for Cyril Gaon because we just don't know what to expect. And it's if John Jones loses, there's going to be the talk that um, his time is gone and he blew all this time outside of the cage. And if he wins, he will be most people's consensus top pound for pound fighter. Like that is the degree of which we are talking about for this fight. So uh, certainly a lot of big ramifications and a win. It certainly positions him well for an even bigger fight at, at heavyweight, whether it's a Stipe Miocic or, or or somebody else. There's not there's not a whole host of uh, heavyweights for him, but uh, this is for the vacant heavyweight title as well. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko is taking on Alexa Grasso for the flyweight title, which um, Shevchenko is the second biggest favorite on this card. Grasso is a very good boxer. Um, I just think her style is is tailor-made for Shevchenko, who is a, a great counter-striker. And I, I think that this, as much as Valentina Shevchenko looked um, not as spectacular in her last fight with uh, Talia Santos, I think in this fight, this should be a bounce back for her and, I think would be a big favorite on this card. One name that I think could be a big, big star coming out of this main card is Shavkat Rachmanov. He is 4-0 in the UFC, and he is taking on Jeff Neal. And Shavkat Rachmanov is one of the most unassuming um, fighters you are going to see. He has such a calm style about him that it almost lulls his opponent into just... This guy is like the cocaine bear of MMA, where you think he's this like uh, just calm, relaxing individual, and boom, you're in his grasp, and he slaps on a guillotine, or like he is a remarkable uh, fighter, and he is taking on Jeff Neal, who's a real serious test for him. But Rachmanov is—he's had all stoppages thus far in his UFC fights. He's coming off a win against Neil Magny, uh, but th- this guy is somebody to certainly keep your eyes on uh, at 170 pounds. And if he beats Jeff Neal, that will catapult him to a major fight at 170 pounds. And it would seem that, um, you know, Neil Magny is a quality win at welterweight. Jeff Neal will be that much more impressive, I think, as well. And being on a big main card, I think that will be a lot of people's exposure to uh, Shavkat Rachmanov. And uh, the other fight I just want to mention is uh, another potential star in the making, and that is Bo Nickel who was a three-time national champion at Penn State, uh, wrestling at 184 pounds and then at 197 pounds. He's only had three fights. This is his first official UFC fight, and his total fight time has been two minutes and 27 seconds. He won twice on Dana's uh, Dana White's Contender Series, and he has been able to... You would think that, okay, high-level wrestler, he's got that foundation. He has got striking, he has got submission skills, and he is a... Very, very marketable fighter. Um, so there, he is, um, I think he's a minus 1400 favorite or so on some books. He's a massive favorite, uh, against Jamie Pickett, who, um, 13 and eight is, is pretty much here to, um, be a body for Bo Nickel to go through. But there's always that question mark of someone that has had so little fight time of when they get hit, if they go deep into a fight. But with Bo Nickel, uh, just given his, his resume, um, 
I don't think there's too many concerns uh, for this fight or his conditioning, but uh, he could certainly be a big name at middleweight uh, moving forward. So overall, this is a very uh, the main card is outstanding. And even on the undercard, you've got uh, Cody Garbrandt, who's in a must win situation. Uh, Drickus Duplessis, who has been um, he's won. uh, Sorry, he's coming off a pair of uh, wins and has won six straight, uh, taking on Derek Brunson. So a very good card on Saturday night, in particular, uh, the main card as well. So, Way, I will, I will have the popcorn ready and uh, <laughs> drinks, so I will, uh, I will expect your arrival anytime between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. And when is your post show with Eric? Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Eric and I will be live. Um, the, the Revolution pre-show, I will call it. Mm-hmm. So All right. Busy day cool. on Sunday. Yes. So we have uh, Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time is the UFC post show. And then Sunday night, we have a live and free Revolution post show. What time do you think we will be going live at on Sunday night after the Ironman match? My estimate, um, I'm going to say about 11.45, something like that. That would be wonderful. If we're, if we're mm-hmm. on by 11.45, I'll be very happy um, if that's the case. After midnight, I mean... That's when uh, my body's going to start to deteriorate, but we will see. Uh, at least as of now, we don't have we have eight matches announced, although they have not announced the zero hour matches yet. And you certainly had some angles tonight of uh, what they are building towards. Last thing I did want to uh, promote as well uh, is the Post Wrestling Cafe. It is a new month here at uh, Post Wrestling, so a great time to jump on board because March is going to be full of great shows on the cafe uh, beginning on Thursday where we are going to be doing uh, a very special look at drive to survive all month long. And this will start Thursday. We're going to put this show out for free talking about the first three episodes of the latest season of drive to survive. And we will be joined by friend of post wrestling, Chris Elliott, but we will be doing shows every Thursday thereafter on the cafe uh, going through drive to survive and uh, the, the ongoing F1 season. Yeah, it's the first race of the weekend this Sunday, so maybe we'll, you know, tee that up a little bit with Chris. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll be doing three episodes this week, three episodes next week, and then covering the rest of the season as well as, you know, anything going on with the current season of F1. So now's a great time to jump on board. And, uh, you know, it's a great time for us to get reacclimated with the sport that we've, and we have actually had an off season. It feels so unusual to, you know, follow a sport with an off season. That's right. Yeah. Um, silly season. So we will uh, look forward. Uh, my my podcast app is just full of season previews now. I've got like four shows on the on the go here. Mm-hmm. So that will be every Thursday uh, for cafe members in the month of March. That goes along with Rewind to SmackDown every Friday night, and then your bonus show on Tuesdays, where we will have two Rewind Aways this month. One covering Great American Bash 1988, and the other one will feature. CM Punk appearing on The Art of Wrestling in November of 2014. Way and I are going to listen back to this fateful podcast, and then we will discuss it for probably longer than the podcast itself lasted. So uh, that's coming up this month as well. Uh, Ask Away and the last month of March, it's WrestleMania week. So plenty of bonus shows. Last week of March. Yeah. Yes. Last week, last week of March. So. Uh, our WrestleMania content will be uh, going up that week as well. So $6 gets you in the door at postwrestlingcafe.com, and it helps support post-wrestling. So jump aboard and uh, enjoy to your heart's content. Yeah, video.postwrestling.com for all of you video patrons as well. So thank you guys for your support and enjoy. Into Dynamite we go our first night at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, uh, where they will be live for Rampage on Friday night. 
And we are kicking things off with Orange Cassidy and Big Bill for the All-Atlantic Championship. Tony Schiavone goes uh, and provides a history lesson for us, talking about Roy Shire promoting here in Northern California and uh, a, a bunch of mentions throughout the night of the history of pro wrestling at the Cow Palace, probably one of, if not the oldest buildings that uh, AEW has run. It's a building that actually doesn't have a corporate sponsor attached to it. Yeah. Um, the the cows got uh, lifetime exclusivity on the naming rights in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Stokely is out and uh, he is in Big Bill's corner and uh, removes Cassidy's sunglasses uh, while they're on the floor. Big Bill takes over after an avalanche. How are you settling in on Big Bill, the name? I, I like it far more than W. Morrissey. You know, Big Bill, I think, is absolutely fine. Yeah. Okay. That's, um, how about you? Um, it's, uh, it's kind of like saying, well, um, yeah, it's not W. Morrissey. So, yeah, by default, it's, it's better. Yeah. I mean, it's a little generic, sure. It, it does sound like the third muscle guy in the action film, like the, it was like you, you look in the credits and like who was that guy? Oh, his right. he was credited as Big Bill. Mm. They just needed something for the credit roll. The timekeeper's table is pulled out, and eventually Orange Cassidy goes for an orange punch. He is caught in midair and gets choke slammed through the table. During the break, Danhausen comes down, and uh Cassidy keeps collapsing to avoid Big Bill's big boot. And then the orange punch is delivered to the leg of Big Bill bringing him down so he's medium-sized Bill on his knee, and then drop kicks Big Bill into the steps, satellite DDT, pair of orange punches hit, but Big Bill is staggering, and then Cassidy comes off the top for a third orange punch to win in 12-22, and boy, was this crowd excited to see Big Bill just fall over like a tree, and Orange Cassidy pins him. As Excalibur says, there may be no one hotter in AEW than the All-Atlantic champion, Orange Cassidy. Hmm. Okay. I guess, I guess define hot, you know, he has been uh, maybe the most um, active champion that they've had. I feel, you know, he, he could, he's continuing, I think what, what has been a pretty terrific title run that um, I don't know if it gets talked about that much. And maybe that's just the status of the all Atlantic championship. And maybe because a lot of these matches are just like, you know, TV wins without that much story attached, but in ring, you know, Orange Cassidy has delivered some pretty consistent, high quality matches throughout this, you know, several months reign at this point. And it, it feels like he's been having like weekly or even biweekly, you know, um, um, matches and, and they've almost all been good. This one was a really good David versus Goliath match full of great comebacks from him. Nice use of his gimmick to, you know, lazily dodge the big boots by simply just sitting down, uh, exhausted. I think a pretty strong opener. Good establishing of Stokely's, um, new cast assisted backhand which i thought um was pretty awesome um i thought big bill did pretty well here you know he's a very seasoned big man he's a guy who works like a big man um though i will say like you know as of his AEW run thus far i'm getting a real lack of like personality from him um i know that they want to maybe take him more of the strong silent big man type rather than big cast in wwe but i don't i I almost feel like his presence is just not not that um big um for lack of a better word like in my mind he's just sort of like generic 
big guy next to Stokely right now. So and and maybe now is not really his time. You know, maybe he should just be playing generic big guy when you're up against um I don't know the the people people who are supposed to be featured like an Orange Cassidy. But I, I do wonder if like they'll kind of give him a little bit more character uh, in mic time in the, in yeah. the weeks to come. I I I would say it was I, I like the match. It was. You know, Orange Cassidy, I think, is, um, yeah, somebody that I don't think, like, he's a pretty high level, consistent performer, um, that, you know, he's, you typically get, like, a great match out of this guy every time out. And this really showed a diversity in terms of working with someone, uh, uh, with Big Bill and catering it towards him. And it was the best that Big Bill has, uh, looked in this AEW run so far. Then we go to John Moxley backstage after last week's dynamite and he cuts this promo. And remember, this is after he has taken the barbed wire from hangman page and he is just leaking in the back and screams into the camera that he is a sick man. I do this because I like it. I live for this shit. And only one of us is coming out of Sunday. And he reminds Hangman that you wanted this. I came or you came back from a concussion and then came back and I am the one that beat you and no one cared about what I did. And instead, I got beat by a move that I learned in seventh grade. And he says that he will die to protect what is his. And as he's talking, the camera goes down and dude, it's just drip, 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 drip all over the stairwell. So for all the criticism of how much this man bleeds, and it is a lot, that would be my trade off. It's like, okay, you get to bleed, but then you got to do a promo like this every time backstage. This was one of several awesome promos on this show. It's a good promo. Um, I was unfortunately kind of distracted by the the blood which i think normally i would be really like you know I, I for you and and for other people that watch this they they might have felt like this promo worked because of the blood for me i just can't help but like see this guy with his face full of blood and just kind of think about the constant criticisms that are now you know put on him for bleeding too much i look at him now and i fortunately think of him as almost like a cliche oh like there's you know john moxley face full of blood again and i don't know if i'd feel this way if these blade jobs were spread out a bit more and especially if last week's was a bit more earned i mean last week was just one of the kind of the silliest ones of all like he had the entire match i believe like his opponent might have been bleeding and then he he's pretty much escapes the whole thing and then it's just moxley coming out with barbed wire cutting him open really for no particular reason other than to create an interesting visual for this promo um i just don't think at this point like if you're john moxley you should be very conscious of like how often you're bleeding and he's probably not going to care about that whatsoever but it's at the point now where even renee and kenny were joking about it on their own podcast and do you want blood to feel like a joke you know do you want like a visual like this to not feel as serious as um you know they should well i certainly didn't watch this promo thinking of comedy um but to to your point i do think it would be better spread out it is it will lose its effectiveness I don't foresee this Sunday being his uh, put his foot down and oh, God, put no. a strike on bleeding. Are you kidding me? But maybe starting next week, he can maybe put a moratorium <laughs> on it for, for, for some time. I doubt that's going to happen. Uh, but I, I thought this was a pretty excellent promo for, from him. 
the elite music begins and they're on the stage when the lights go out. House of Black appear, the lights go back out, and the Elite are shown laid out on the stage with the House of Black holding up the Trios Championship. So this was something where Omega and the Bucks were never advertised for this show. So it's not as though they they robbed you of some appearance. And it was just something different. They stole the belts, and then later they would um, leave them in their dark room for the Elite to go find. Do they know where this dark room is? Somewhere in the Cow Palace. I thought this dark room would be like somewhere in their like their minds, you know, like somewhere in like another nether realm. And um how are the elite supposed to find that? Maybe they find the House of Black and say, Where are, are our our titles? And Malachi can say, We're sworn to secrecy. We legally we can't tell you where those belts are. <laughs> Very good, yeah. You know, um, not much story attached to this one, and I this is a feud that really doesn't need it. You know, they're the top two trios teams in the company and it's the hottest match that you could possibly make between teams that could be considered trios at the moment. So it's really a match that just kind of sells itself by being on paper. All you've had to do is just show the graphic and do a little segment like this without that much talking. I'm excited for it. Already one of the, maybe the match I'm most looking forward to actually on the show. Well, that takes us to the face of the revolution ladder match. And the winner of this match will receive a TNT title shot next Wednesday on the show in Sacramento. And what a lineup we have here. Eddie Kingston, Ortiz, Commander making his AEW debut, Sammy Guevara, Action Andretti, AR Fox, and Powerhouse Hobbs here in his hometown. And boy, this crowd was in love with Powerhouse Hobbs. It was incredible just to hear the reaction to him. And clearly they knew uh, to expect this reaction going in, which um, maybe they should have expected. But it's like we talked about the fact that Hobbs, they had done the the Book of Hobbs vignettes and had kind of cooled them off the last couple of weeks. But it was all designed for this and a very big moment for Hobbs in this match. I mean, when you're taking the whole, you know, the international AEW audience around the streets of Oakland, um, you're, you're, you're showcasing and representing, I think, your city pretty hard. Um, and, uh, it almost felt like they were, they could have like delayed those to, to peak for something like this because I, I do feel like he's kind of cooled off because you haven't seen that much follow up from him after those great vignettes. But, um, evidently it was, it was still enough for, for this crowd to recognize this guy as a hometown guy and to treat him as a fan favorite. So I'll do my best here. Kingston and Ortiz were essentially written out of this match where they paired up, they brawled to the back, and then they gave an update that they had to be separated by many security guards, and we never saw them again. Yeah. So um, so this is like part of an angle, I guess. Um, so Eddie Kingston's been, prior to this, complaining about him not wanting to be in, uh, where are they, Sacramento, San Francisco? San Francisco tonight. And um, since then, the, he's tweeted out that he he's quitting AEW. Uh, thank you, Kat, for the super chat. Eddie Kingston just quit AEW. And, um, of course, I you know, seems to set up his run in ROH. Uh, would seem to, yes, because yeah. he will be all over that show tomorrow and the next several weeks as well. So, mm-hmm. um, so what, is this Ortiz thing finished? I thought maybe they were going to add this to the, the pay-per-view or the buy-in on, on Sunday. But he just quit AEW, I guess. Well, maybe we're not getting that. Maybe we're, uh, hmm. well, maybe he'll be forced to do one more match. We will see. Uh, so big Hobbs chant at the beginning. Um, 
runs over a commander with a clothesline, just huge reactions for everything he does. And then Guevara um, is backing away. So Hobbs and Takeshita get into it. Don Callis is shown in the back scouting Takeshita. So we're, we are back to that angle where he is uh, involved. Commander does his rope walk. I, I believe this was like the first like television acknowledgement of the callous Takeshita relationship, right? Television, yes. They have yeah. played this up on, on Dark and Dark Elevation. But yeah, mm. on Dynamite, I think this would be the first time they have uh, brought it up. So it's real now. It's real once it's made its way into the Dynamite realm. Mm. So Commander does his big rope walk across one whole side of the ring and dives onto everyone on the floor. This Amazing. was incredible. Like Amazing. You know, you're on national television. You could slip. It's probably most people here the first time they've seen this. Um certainly live and he nailed it and from this moment on they were all into commander as well he i thought he had a great showing um in in this match he certainly did yeah um it's one of those things where like you really wish aw at least made time for a couple entrances for something like this because here's a guy that just like you know shows up never appeared on north american national television before and you know, uh, clearly, like Tony's of sort of the belief that like you use the wrestling to to be to be your introduction, and he definitely made it a big introduction here. I can't believe that this dude was doing this uh, twenty minutes from my house a few months ago, and I could not go because I got COVID. Oh, did he, did he do this spot? I'm sure he did this spot. Wow, this is a trademark. Uh, Ar Fox gets a chair and attacks Hobbs with it. So Hobbs, they built a ladder contraption on the floor where we've got the upright ladder and then a horizontal one between the ladder and the ring. So Ar Fox takes a DVD from Hobbs onto the horizontal ladder. Andretti then walks across the ladder uh, to meet Guevara on the main ladder, and he lifts up Guevara. And goes for a falcon arrow, but as he comes down, he crashes himself into the horizontal ladder. I thought this guy smashed his leg, I like thought, wrecked, it, like broke his leg. I thought he smashed something. Like looked like a t- tough landing for Sammy too. Yeah. Um, I, what was the plan here? To like actually land on the ladder to falcon arrow on the ladder or off? Like it felt ugh. like one was going. It almost felt like one thought they were landing on the mat and the other on the ladder it was as though something was crossed here because they were right in the middle and it was hard to see Guevara's landing but he's like grabbing his head and like Andretti just had the nastiest landing on his leg where his leg was caught as he's coming down it was the ugliest spot of the match Mm -hmm. but I mean both were both did crazy stuff after this so hopefully it looked worse than it was Uh, Commander then does a shooting star off the top rope to AR Fox who is still on the outside ladder that is horizontal. Takeshita then stops Commander on the ladder inside the ring with a blue thunder bomb off the ladders to the floor. The audience gets up to their feet at this point. Then we like it's just like insane spot after insane spot here. Andretti springboards onto the main ladder, so legs seem to be holding up okay. Daniel Garcia comes in, tipping the ladder and uh, costing action Andretti, and then Andretti is placed onto a ladder on the floor. Sammy Guevara finds the world's tallest ladder and climbs up to the top, and Jeff Hardy's off of the top of this thing with a swanton and breaks the ladder with Action Andretti taking the swanton on the floor. And you have Garcia 
uh, playing weekend at Bernie's here with Sammy Guevara as he tries to lift him up the ladder, this lifeless body. Takeshita tips it over, and then Hobbs pounces the ladder with Takeshita on it, and this ladder is not going to hold Hobbs. So Bryce Rensberg has to hold this thing with all of his weight and then some as Hobbs climbs up. Hobbs, and, and, it was Rensberg and a few other referees. Yeah, like three uh, referees around him. This is a big guy. This guy was going to break this ladder. So they hold the ladder in place as Hobbs can climb, and he removes the ring, the, the sonic ring, and he gets the TNT title shot next week. 14 minutes and two seconds. Utter insanity in this match. Yeah, really crazy. Um, I mean, this felt every bit like a match that would have stolen a pay-per-view, you know? Um, and, and it's that they give it to us on TV, maybe because of the Iron Man uh, length. Um, but the TV aspect didn't take away from it at all. Like I thought these guys worked every bit as hard, delivered an incredible spot fest with some very memorable moments here. Um, and a big win for Hobbs in his hometown. So a very fun, special attraction type of show, you know, commander, they didn't give him an entrance, but those two dives were, I think, you know, enough to leave an impression in everybody's mind, uh, a really great introduction for him. Um, and Hobbs versus you know, Hobbs versus Joe, it would be double heel. So does this make you wonder if Wardlow is more likely to beat Joe on Sunday? I wonder what the reaction is going to be like for, for Hobbs. Like, I know they're in Sacramento next week. Like, it's still it's, – it's not Oakland, but you're still Northern California that I think you could – like, that audience is going to gravitate more towards Hobbs anyway. Um, so I, I do see them doing Joe. Um, I, I, I guess you So could, what's the match on Sunday? It's Joe and Wardlow for the TNT title. Right. So, so Hobbs isn't doing anything on the Hobbs show. Hobbs is not on the pay-per-view. Right. And then next week is Sacramento, you're saying? Right. Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, Wardlow comes out destroying security as, uh, as Joe runs off, and uh, he power bombs the security guy off the stage onto the other security. So, um, yeah, you could certainly do Wardlow and, and on Hobbs next week. And, but I, I would say in either case, I see the audience getting behind Hobbs. Uh, I think he's- I think I think this is uh, yeah cer- certainly um you're right like would would putting Hobbs against Wardlow so next week is the match yes yeah um yeah no it's a great question I mean you know with ROH starting back up as well is is Joe going to get you know relinquish the or at least lose the TNT championship at this point um I, it's kind of hard to call for me Renee has a medical update. She's in the trainer's room. Chuck and Trent Beretta are not cleared for the Battle Royal. So Orange Cassidy and Danhausen are going to replace them later tonight. And Cassidy is selling the effects of his match with Big Bill. So he's going to have his ribs taped. Chris Jericho and Peter Avalon. Jericho gave Avalon two minutes and 28 seconds of this match, then hit the code breaker and won in two minutes and 29 seconds. Uh, but tons of offense here for Avalon. And I guess after the action and ready match, you can do something like this and convince the audience that maybe he's going to pin Jericho. But all it took was one code breaker. Didn't even use the Judas effect. And, uh, and it turns out Peter Avalon can see after the, uh, the spiked Judas effect suit last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jericho attacks him with the bat. I have nothing to say. I mean, it's it's. I guess it's a showcase match. You know, it's fine. Ricky Starks runs down for the save, and uh, Jericho insults the town and says he's going to beat Starks without the help of the Jericho Appreciation Society. But tonight, 
they are here. So Garcia and Hager jump starts. It's a three-on-one, and they leave him laying after a Judas effect and a possible rib injury going into Sunday's pay-per-view. Then it is off to a horse stable where the unstable Hangman Page gives us a message that this match is all he has left to lose. He lost the AEW title. You beat one of my friends within an inch of his life. You took my memory. The tips of my fingers are gone, or the feeling in the tips of my fingers are gone, so I can't lose those. Page takes everything to Moxley this Sunday, and he says, I'm going to take your spot on the top of the food chain. I hate violence, but Sunday, I'm going to be the most violent SOB you've ever seen. And beating Moxley is the last glimmer of hope that Hangman has. In this type of match, either you live or you die. And I'm not dying. And Moxley, you will never be the same after Sunday. Mm-hmm. A life or death match. A, a Texas life or death match. Yeah. Yeah. No, some really strong promos in this entire feud. And I think this will probably be it for these two. I did find it a little awkward that we went from one of us will live and one of us is going to die on Sunday to Renee in the ring. Joining me now is Christian Cage as we uh, reel from the thought of uh, my husband being murdered by this guy uh, in a couple of days. She doesn't seem too phased by you know what 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 threats are are thrown at his at her husband. I mean, this is the guy's promising death. Kind of the entire feud. She's, she, she, I'm sure she's she's worried enough in, for a lifetime. Renee had her game face on. Mm-hmm. She brought out Christian who insulted the city. Boy, did San Francisco just take a beating on this show from these heels. He was done with Jungle Boy until he saw him on television promising to win a singles title this year. He says, over my dead body, because Cage is going to win a singles title this year. And Jack Perry jumped him like a coward last week, and you hesitated with the concerto, and I left you in a pool of your own blood and piss, which I saw the blood last week. I did not detect the piss. I didn't either. No. So maybe they could have let let uh, one less guy bleed, and they don't do enough piss angles. A first piss show. match. Maybe? Beat up, beat the piss out of a guy. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Drake Maverick would uh, be the the forerunner for such a stipulation, wouldn't he? Yes. Yes. He says that Jack Perry just wants to win a title to go home and show his mother and sister and make some memes. And get some likes. You know those those titles, way. They're just a gold mine for for likes. Here's my belt. Yeah, they would be. I guess is this sort of like a you know your average sort of Gen Z attack, millennial attack. You know, you're just doing this for likes. Yeah, Christian says that your generation treats my business like a video game. I treat my business like an ATM machine, and I'm not done milking it dry. So he challenges Jungle Boy not to a match on Sunday, but a fight. No rules, no regulations. And I'm going to prove that you're just your father's son. A no-talent hack that was lucky he has Hollywood good looks because this business isn't for you. You don't have the grit. And then the lights go out. They love their lights out on the on this show. And there is Jungle Boy digging a grave. And then a tear forms on his cheek. And we go through the whole history of Jungle Boy and Christian. Good times and bad. 
And as he is crying at what he has to do, a tombstone is revealed that reads Christian Cage. Mm -hmm. Maybe this was time for the real name to be used, much like Christian used his real name. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Here lies uh, Christian Cage. (laughs) I I honestly, like, I mean, some people maybe found this hokey. I I thought this was like, I thought this encapsulated the whole feud in a a pretty brief segment, um, in particular, the Jungle Boy stuff. So it might not have been for everyone. Like this image right here is a a little much, but I I thought that this was a, uh, I like the way that they summarized this. I liked uh, Christian's promo. You know, it's it's nice to see like an old school heat getting heel promo on a show like this. And um, I and thought the crowd it was very, hated him. Yeah, I thought it was very effective. Um, I appreciate the use of video production to try to like do something different for a babyface's retaliation. This did feel a little too corny, though. You know, um, in particular, this you know this printed on tombstone like looked like a halloween decoration and um the tear too i thought um maybe a little bit forced um it it it, it probably overshot maybe the, the the dramatic mark that i think they were trying to set but um i i at least appreciate the attempt you're telling me this this did not generate the same emotion of mudo and masahiro chono for you no not quite no Shivani interviews Hater and Baker as Hater says, the only thing better than beating one bitch is beating two bitches this Sunday. Hook took on Matt Hardy for the FTW championship. So Ethan Page shoves Hook into the post. Hook comes back with a T-bone and then is hit with a side effect. Ethan takes Stokely's cast, blasts Hook with it, and we actually got a near fall where people thought Matt Hardy was going to end this streak of Hook. But no, Hook kicks out. Twist of fake gets countered with red rum and immediately Matt Hardy taps like this thing could not have been on him for half a second. And he taps. And that means that Hook gets a no DQ match with Stokely Hathaway. I thought they would announce this for the zero hour, but and maybe they will. Maybe it almost feels like it's a story that might might be better served for television. You know, um, give it a week to really kind of simmer. It's it's been very much a TV gimmicky program anyway. Um you know, these legal contracts are, are quite a thing. Um, somehow, somehow this has ended up with Stokely Hathaway getting a match with Hook. Um, I think the match will be, you know, could be fun. Um, the story I, I think is shit, you know, but that's okay. House <laughs> of Black, they have the trios belts and they state that the greatest enemies are composed out of fear that eat at the soul. They are going to leave the titles here because they belong to the elite, but they warn them, you've already lost them. There is that fear that they are planting. And now the elite need a flashlight to go find these belts. Tony Storm against Riho. Very positive crowd for Riho. As they note, she is 25 years old with 17 years of in-ring experience. How old is she? 25? 25. Wrestling since she was seven. Wow. Okay. That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of in-ring experience for a 25-year-old. Soraya distracts. It leads to a hip attack. And then Hader and Baker come down. It's all storm during the break. And then a diving foot stomp by Riho lands on the arm. So the announcers are explaining she didn't get all of it by landing on the arm. 
and then climbs up for another one. Storm stops her and teases the Storm Zero off the second turnbuckle. That is blocked. And then Storm stops a Sunset Bomb, lands a shotgun drop, drop kick, and hip attack, only gets a two count on Rio, and applies the Texas Cloverleaf when Baker gets on the apron. So Tony Storm nails Baker and allows Rio to roll up Tony Storm in 10 minutes and 7 seconds, getting the surprise win. And then Baker and Storm brawl, Hater and Soraya brawl, and then Ruby comes out, decks Soraya, and then also decks Hater. So she is not choosing sides. She is attacking everybody. And Rio gets the win here, but was not announced as added to this match. It seemed to be just Baker costing Tony Storm the match. Yeah, she really was an afterthought, you know, despite getting the win. I mean, but she she's a babyface who got the win thanks to a, a distraction, and it was a fluke win on top of that. So I don't think we were supposed to think about Riho. Uh, we were just more so supposed to think about, oh, Britt Baker, you know, did something really bad to Tony Storm. Um, reminds you of the match on Sunday, keeps the rivalry al- alive. Um, I'm not that excited for it, you know, truth be told. Do you see? Well, we can, we can talk about uh, Revolution more on on Friday itself. We'll get through this show. We go to the back with Keith Lee and Dustin Rhodes. Naturally limitless. Yeah. Supposed Those to be naturally limitless. Yeah. So um, I thought this was a very manufactured delivery by Keith Lee. Like it just felt so unnatural. Pardon the pun here. That's just um, how he speaks, though. That's his style. It is, but th- this was more than usual. It just felt like he was just regurgitating these words in such an awkward way. And then Dustin just uh, says, Darkness has fallen over the city of San Francisco. You will remember our name. So they are taking on the Mogul Affiliates on Friday. This is a badass look for Keith Lee, though. Although he noted in this promo he didn't have his jacket with him. He had this other jacket on. Yeah, sorry, I took a still from a different Yeah, one. yeah. This is, he, this he, is what he, he brought like. up the fact he did not have his cool looking jacket. I guess maybe it got a I don't know, <laughs> maybe customs lost it or something and uh Dustin did get his uh he does have his hoodie. So Yep. Yeah, this is our um Rampage exclusive program that's been taking place um and it looks like a little it'll end on Rampage. And then the Casino Battle Royale. This one, 22 minutes. And, well, let's at the beginning start. No FTR in this match, which I, I think is noteworthy. I thought whether um, this, you know, you had done the angle with the guns, and I think the uh, with FTR not showing up, um, it's certainly going to lead to the belief that um, they probably don't plan to use them until they either have a new deal with them or or they're not coming back at all. I was under that impression anyway, and certainly if they were going to come back, um, you know, they, you, you they would just won. think like even if they're not planning to re- resign, you know, at least get get a win out of them on the way out. Like you did that gun eulogy, like at least sew things up, get like you're paying them, like let's use them for a pay per view, or at least this match. Well, I mean, to be even to even if they won this battle royal, to be one of four teams on a revolution, um. Does that help necessarily? Does that help the acclaimed? Um, did they have a the role? Guns, like the guns, you know, they get their win on right. FTR going out. Like strengthen the guns. on uh, At the pay-per-view? Yeah. Um, yeah, they could. They could. When one of the contracts up, April? Something April. like that. 
Right. I mean, they could do a, a TV thing if they wanted to, or it could just be that like Tony Khan thought the way they wrote off the FTR was was good enough, and maybe he wants to keep it at that. Um, if it, it, could it be the you know belief that um, if they are about to you know appear on WWE TV, do you want them on your TV right away? I don't know. I mean, it's still going to be a while before they're you know you still got a few months here. Well, no, no they weren't in it, so not a. Not a not a subject that they have to uh, debate at this point. Reynolds and Silver were the first team out, and they get jumped by Yuta and uh, Claudio Castagnoli, so they're the first teams out. Roosh and Preston Vance are in third, and then the Lucha Brothers come out with just this awesome gear. Like Penta was in like the 49ers colors, just uh, tremendous. And th- this group, they are so popular. Um, <laughs> like last week, this audience just wanted to see the Lucha Brothers win, and they were going to be let down again. Um, but they brought up during um, the Lucha Brothers um, period in the ring, uh, they're bringing up Pepper Gomez, Ray Stevens, Pat Patterson, and the and the Battle Royals that Roy Shire would hold in this building every January. And then during this match, we get our first uh, lower third promoting Ring of Honor debuting tomorrow. I thought we would get a whole lot more promotion for Ring of Honor. It was, if you blinked, you missed it on tonight's show. It was just, you know, when Claudio was in control and it was just a, low, a lower third for Claudio. And, um, no I, matches announced. Like they, they've done it online, but it, nothing tonight to your most captive audience. It's kind of aligned with like the way that they've been promoting the ROH pay per views. And, and it, I almost wonder if, if it's just, um, Tony not wanting to piss off Warner. Uh, at this point, um, now that it, it, it looks like it's not something that they're interested in, in broadcasting. Um, so yeah, probably, I, that. I guess you could also say it was, it was about as much promotion as power slap gets on AEW every week too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is the type of product that I think is going to mainly be sold, um, online to a, a niche hardcore audience. Um, but I, I'm sure, you know, some mention uh, or more significant mention on a national TV platform isn't going to hurt either. I mean, this premiere date to me has really just kind of crept up without that much fanfare at all outside of like, you know, these hardcore circles. So I, I wonder, I, I, I don't know how, how much buzz there necessarily is. I, I would also question like launching it this week when it's your pay-per-view week and yeah. Uh, and tonight, even if you were given carte blanche to promote, I don't know if I would have wanted to be having to give, you know, 30 percent of my time to promoting something against the pay-per-view. Like tonight should have been all focus on the pay-per-view. Um, it's just a tough week, I think, to be launching mm-hmm. this. And your first week is going to have the most interest, I would think, of these first couple of shows. It, it, it would kind of make sense to do your your biggest promotion on, on the pay-per-view as well, right? Maybe maybe we'll get some of that you know, on the pay-per-view, just off of TV. Possible, yeah. Uh, then the teams that followed, Aussie Open, Menard and Parker, Top Flight was in, and then the Kingdom are eighth uh, coming out. And then Tony Nese... Ari Davari and Josh Woods hop the rail. They attack the Lucha Brothers and then roll them back in as they are tossed out. Uh, already Dark Order had been sent out. And then, uh, yeah, Roosh tosses Penta out and Phoenix also gets eliminated, which the cameras missed his elimination. And they were very sad to see the two of them gone uh, and look to be destined for a feud with the Trustbusters and Josh yeah. Woods. Yeah. So, uh-huh. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, top flight, eliminate Roosh and Vance. Uh Dante goes for the nosedive, which is not a great move in a battle royal because uh, Mark Davis just shoved him out. And then Fletcher eliminates Darius. 
Cassidy and Danhausen, which had to have been five minutes after the kingdom entered. Uh, they said one minute intervals, and it was the longest period in between mm-hmm. entrances here. Uh, Cassidy tosses out Parker. Then Butcher and the Blade are the 10th team. At this point, I don't know how many teams are in this. I'm just, wa- I'm just awaiting more countdowns. So Maria gets knocked off the apron, and that sets up Aussie Open and the Kingdom getting dumped out to the floor. Dark Order return, distracting Claudio and Yuta, and thus Orange Cassidy eliminates Yuta and then delivers an orange punch to Claudio and him and Danhouse and dump out Claudio. The guns are out to watch on the stage as Butcher and the Blade double team Orange Cassidy and then as <laughs> these were our final two. I think we certainly could have had the BCC go right to the end for the uh, the drama, but instead it was uh, can Butcher and the Blade go to the pay-per-view, and as they're working on Cassidy, Danhausen comes from behind and tips over both men, and Cassidy and Danhausen win 22-06, and then they're jumped by Jared and Lethal, and uh, there's a stroke onto Orange Cassidy. The amount of men that got jumped on this show, there's a lot of uh, just jumpings that uh, take place on, on this show when you uh, add them all up it means there are a lot of people that don't have matches on these shows and you need to incorporate them in the show somehow and uh i guess you'll you know run run-ins are the best way um i i don't i think the concept of like having two battle royals back to back um with largely the same teams i I think is really unnecessary. Um, and I think I, th- I believe that I think they have, a, and they must have some kind of uh, thought towards this because when you see AEW put out their graphics for their shows, it feels like they want to get as many heads onto that poster as possible. I think they believe there's a correlation between number of people on a graphic versus the importance of a match. And you can put, you, you do a battle royal and look, all these people are going to be on TV at once. I don't know. They love their battle royals. And, um, I think they have this- a lot of, they have a lot of people on the roster without much to do. And, 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 and the bigger problem, I think, when it comes to the tag team division right now is that you don't have too many challengers that are actually viable. Um, you know, well, well that's what this teams. show, that's what this match to me showcased that you had to me, um, the BCC and the Lucha Brothers as your believable teams um, beyond Cassidy and Danhausen that you did the show long story with. I don't know if anyone took anybody else seriously to win this match. No, I mean uh, maybe Top Flight, maybe Rush and Vance have had you know a little bit of momentum, but yeah, a, a lot of these teams are just kind of bodies, and um, you know Danhausen and, and Orange Cassidy weren't even a team until tonight. Um, I. I, I I think they're kind of missing the boat on, on the Lucha Brothers here. You know, it doesn't seem like they'll have a role on the pay per view. And by all accounts, they were the most over team tonight. And I don't think that's a week. surprise. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's a division that I think has um, been fun to have the acclaimed up at the top. But um, maybe because of the tag team, or sorry, the trio situation, taking the 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 Bucks out and taking the House of Black out, it, it it's felt. It, it hasn't felt as hot um, to me lately. And I think the results are this, you know, the interest going into this match coming out on, on Sunday. Um, it's it's almost a, a bit of a comedy match, you know, with the acclaim. You have uh, Jarrett and Lethal, and now you have Danhausen and Orange Cassidy. The action, I'm sure, will be fun, but I hardly look at it as seriously as I do Hassel Black versus the Young Bucks. Yeah, you almost wonder how much they're going to build spots for Danhausen with Jarrett, with the guns, um, 
you know, you have Cassidy in there. I, I, I think it'll be a, a good match, but there are a lot of um, is it different a, parts. an anticipated match? You know, I've really enjoyed Lethal and Jared actually as a heel tag team. They've been a lot of fun, but but I think on a pay per view that's asking me to pay a certain price for a championship match. I'm not just looking for fun for TV. I'm looking for fun for a pay per view. I'm looking for you know grudges to be settled. Way wants his stake for the pay per view. I'll have Who my doesn't? cotton candy on TV. Mm-hmm. Then they aired a uh, preview of the countdown focusing on MJF and Brian Danielson, including this man meditating on a blood mountain. <laughs> blood mountain. What's that? That's where uh, cocaine bear is set. Oh, okay. Yes. They, they went out on the mountain with Brian Danielson out here to shoot this. Isn't there that video out there of Danielson uh, wrestling a bear that he wanted released? There is? Yeah. I, I've never seen it. Final segment, uh, Brian Danielson is out with Renee. And this was bizarre. Did you hear this as I did? Renee brings up this post that MJF made in 2014. And I would say, like, people will remember this from the punk feud, this post that he made. But the way Renee brought this up was, I feel we could have refreshed everybody on what this post was and how it related. And then Danielson just goes into talking about how he was forced to retire in 2014. Like this is, they brought this up like last year during the punk feud, but I think we could have had a bit of a refresher to this post. Yeah. I didn't even realize, but yeah, like this is an MJF post from how many years ago? WrestleMania 28. And it's a photo of Danielson versus CM Punk. um, Or at least this did some somewhere in the buildup to WrestleMania 28. And uh, yeah, and this was the whole story about him, him dropping out to pursue his dream of wrestling. And, and, you know, they, they heavily focused on this in the, in the punk feud. But when this mm-hmm. was brought, I don't know if people are just automatically uh, remembering. That's a, that's a lot of things though. In AEW, like, I mean, AEW promos uh, and their type of storytelling is very much playing to a, a pretty deep, like knowledge of fan and, and that varies, I think, depending on the promo. But like, this isn't that unusual to me. But I, 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 I don't disagree with you, John. That like, you know, you can ease a casual audience in a little bit better. But they, they don't operate like that way sometimes. Well, it almost felt like Renee was asking Danielson for his thoughts on this post, and Danielson had no idea what this post even was, and he just went off in this direction about hmm. he was fo- he was forced to retire and. He fought for his dreams, and as he's giving his speech, out comes MJF. But before MJF can get a word out, Danielson shuts him up, says, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of hearing why you hate me. MJF, you think that you deserve all these things, but you've done nothing to earn them nor fight for them. You've taken every shortcut to become champion. You've never fought for it. The only thing you deserve is your fiance leaving you. And then uses MJF's own line, pinning shoulders to mats and banging rats. Doesn't seem like someone I'd want my daughter marrying. So we got Dad Danielson here, and he challenges MJF to come into the ring to fight him and says, you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Me, I fought poverty. I fought concussions. I fought health issues. I fought the authority, and I fought for everything before I came here. Before coming to AEW, I had a job that would pay me for the rest of my life, but I chose to come to AEW because I wanted to fight. And my new dream is becoming the AEW world champion. And God damn it, I'm willing to fight for it. 
and you better be ready to fight with everything you have for 60 minutes. And if you don't, you're going to get your fucking head kicked in. And this place went nuts. This was an unbelievable promo from Brian Danielson. And MJF did they censor? Did, on yes, they, they censored this. So Not I had on to, uh, uh Oh, they didn't. Yeah, this was no. totally censored on, uh, on TSN. So mm. I had to guess what he was saying here. Um, yeah, awesome. Awesome promo from Danielson. And MJF doesn't get a word in. Uh, I thought this was tremendous. Yeah, not not what you would expect from a you know go home segment involving an MJF program. MJF being completely silent, I think, was the statement that they wanted to make because um, Danielson cut so deep, and I love the fact that Danielson got so uncharacteristically personal here. You know, getting into sort of MJF territory, prying into you know his personal life, and talking about a very sensitive issue in his uh, recent um, the breaking up of his engagement. Um, but he did it in a way that I th- think was also kind of like almost like you deserved it because you've been you know bragging about banging rats and if i had i you know if my daughter were, was to marry you i would not allow that like it, it it felt justified you know when the when the way he he brought it up but um it was like the most fired up I've, i feel like i've heard dan Galison in this AEW run and this is the type of register and type of fire in his voice that i think i've been waiting for for this entire time and i'm really glad that he's um dug into it at least for the go home segment and um yeah um do you expect the title change? I don't, um, but I'm really intrigued to see the match. I am too. I'm too. Um, it, do you think the the public feels the same about this Iron Man stipulation? I think it's going to be tough for some. I I'm I'm not a big proponent of advertising. 60 minute matches in advance. I think there's absolutely an audience for it and probably a higher percentage that are buying these pay-per-views. But I also think that there's an audience that is going to be a, I think it will scare some people off as well. At the same time, when you're telling people in advance, you're getting an hour long match. um, That's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And maybe we will be wrong when the number comes in for this. Um, I can't see them doing what they did for revolution last year. Um, but this was a really great segment um, to, to end things off. I would say like between this and the, the Zane segment, like you got two really great go-home segments over these last couple of weeks going into the respective pay-per-views. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the main program, um, the storytelling has been like very strong with a lot of MG, great MJF segments. I feel like they've had um, a bit of a, a difficult um, – it, it's it's challenging because they had like what two whole months to really tell the story three months almost to tell the story and they were trying to do it without acknowledging the William Regal um, portion of it for such a long time it felt and and then after that it was like the arm story and then MJF's gauntlet and then last week it was uh, about you know um, what MJF and him being jealous of Daniel Danielson's family life. So there's a lot of material that they had to, you know, go through to get to this point. Um, a lot of it though, I feel what's been kind of lost and maybe part of the reason why, like the, the Iron Man stipulation might not feel as, um, big of an attraction to me as maybe it should is because I don't know if they've hammered home, like just how physically demanding an Iron Man match is. like, to me, that should be the focus. That should be that should be the the biggest selling point of this pay per view. The fact that you're you're going to see two men do something that very few professional wrestlers have done, and that's you know have a sixty minute match 
on a pay-per-view for a world championship um, because it's difficult to do, you know, in, in what is a very worked sport with fictitious and predetermined outcomes. Um, it's a very real feat to be able to perform for an hour um, uninterrupted. And I don't know if they they kind of celebrated and, you know, promoted that as much. It feels like something, though, they would hit on on the countdown show. But I I think you you somewhat miss that when it's left to the countdown show for for people that it's it's a much smaller amount of people that are going to watch that. And yeah, it's as well like they have like they've sort of played up with the story like MJF is this guy that can he go 60 minutes with Brian Danielson? And I don't know how much that's been like hit on and. And I also don't know how much of a of a hook that really is to people that have seen MJF do. You know, he did like a forty five minute match with Punk last year. Like I like True. it's not as though we're watching um, a guy that's like I can't fathom this guy going longer than 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 Brock Lesnar and Goldberg in a sixty minute Iron Man match. That would be that. That would be your your figures to to utilize. Like if this was Danielson and and uh, and Goldberg for sixty, I mean that that's the story to tell. I don't know right. if MJF's the guy. Like I, I think it's going to be a great match. I I don't have any doubt about well, this match being great. But then then you have to ask if sixty minutes is is the right stipulation. If if it's not that attractive of a question. Well, it's. I think if you do it right and it's MJF prevailing and he is now the Iron Man of AEW, like it's it's a lot of it, it's good heat for MJF to come out of this one. Um, however, however they do it in a in a creative way, right? So we'll we'll preview more of the card on Friday, but uh, we will now open it up to uh, any super chats if you want to throw those in, and we will be getting to forum.postwrestling.com. A bunch of feedback coming out of tonight's show. Uh, we have one piece of feedback. We had an earlier super chat. Uh, thanks to Kat for that. We also have one here from Matt Hahn who says, do you think Brian should win the title? I don't No, I think you're riding with MJF at the moment. And I think this is, uh, would be way, way too early to take the title off MJF. Like the, the whole crux of this title is the idea that he's ha- he has it as the time is ticking down that he could leave with this title. I, I don't know what benefit it would be to take the title off of him now, nor do I feel it's 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 the time for Danielson to be champion. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think the audience demand is is really all that there, like all, all there that much for a Brian Danielson championship win in, in a in a reign. And I think even from a business per- standpoint, um, I don't know if Danielson would be that much of a of a difference maker, you know, ratings wise, business wise. Um, and I don't think MJF has really had a you know fair chance at really establishing himself as top guy right now you you still have so many matches that you could tell um and stories you could tell with mjf at the top let's go to bruce lord who writes in this wasn't a perfect dynamite but a hot crowd kept the energy up throughout between the ladder match chaos that incredible moxley promo and some solid fire from danielson i feel a fair bit more excited about revolution than i did a couple of hours ago so mission accomplished for a go-home show on the other hand we're still waiting for a clear sense of what ftr's future might hold if in a week's time we're looking at Hobbs holding the TNT title and starts with the JAS in the rear view, would you opt to have them renew their feud? Both feel a lot hotter than they did the last time they fought, and there's plenty of history to draw upon. But I'm wondering if having them continue to build their stocks by feuding with veterans and main eventers in the short term would ensure that their program is higher up the card when it is revisited. I think it's something you can go back to. I don't know if I would be looking at it so quickly because for me – Powerhouse Hobbs is just in the just in the 
very beginning stages of sort of breaking out. I sensed it at full gear that th- there's an audience that's ready to get behind this guy. And I mean, it's, it's only been aided by tonight. And hopefully he's got some promo on Friday in front of that crowd in, in San Francisco as well to build up this TNT title match. Um, I would want him in front of that crowd and. Yeah, you could you could certainly look at you know who who has this TNT title a week from now. It's it would seem very hard to imagine Wardlow losing to Joe after the the hair angle and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wardlow and Hobbs that's that's a tough match to put together next week too. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't know if I see a title reign for Hobbs just now. Like I think these are two um, you know like wrestling in Northern California and the Bay Area. I, I I almost feel like today's booking was almost just to kind of satisfy this this current run. Um, outside of this territory, does he have that same momentum attached to him? I'm really not sure. And, and it's not because he's not talented. It's because I just don't think they put enough story behind him. Those vignettes were great. But beyond that, he's just showed up with the book a few times backstage. And we don't really know a whole lot beyond that. Is he an actual babyface now? Do they even stick with that? Or is he a heel once they leave uh, Northern California? Um, I, I certainly don't know if like a, reigniting a feud with Ricky Starks would be helpful for both of them. You know, Ricky Starks now, now like hopefully he's done with Jericho after Sunday. He should be moving on to like your, your actual top level guys. Um, MJF is always going to be, I think um, a rematch that we'll, we'll all want to see, but um, I, I, you know, just even below that level, like a heel, like who would you put pair with Ricky Starks after Jericho after, you know, let me think. Um, what are the heels even right now? <laughs> I'm trying to think, like a dominant uh, heel that could afford a loss to Ricky Starks, basically. Jeff you know? Jarrett. Um, <laughs> again, like they're such a comedy team that, like, and they're a tag team that I, 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 you know, wouldn't be great. But man, I'm just trying to think who else you have, like who outside of MJF. Like, what are your second tier heels? It, it would feel as though. I mean, if you keep it, it like Starks and Sammy Guevara could could do some stuff together. Oh um, man, people would be people don't want any sort of JS interaction with with Starks after this. I, th- I think I so. Don't. I think after after this weekend, you sort of want to move on from that. Um, yeah, it's it, it it could certainly be something if you're looking at um, the the direction of where the BCC is going and where Moxley fits in there as well. Um, like Ryan, you, you do. Yeah, you have people, a lot of babyface options and and not so many viable heel options. People saying uh, Lance Archer, Christian Cage. Uh, I don't think either of those are are big enough names. I mean, Christian maybe, but uh, come on, like you just beat Chris Jericho and you're going to go into feud with Christian Cage. I don't, I don't think that's you know a, a, a satisfying follow up. But who's to say it even needs to be a heel? Maybe you you place Ricky Starks up against you know another babyface. I think somebody on the level of like a hangman page should be like, you know, the type of, of talent or John Moxley, you know, that should be the level of talent that I think you should be pairing Ricky Starks with after, um, not necessarily, you know, Hobbs. We have a super chat here coming out here from, uh, James Robinson sends $5. Thank you for the support, James. He says, I had the biggest smile on my face hearing Jane at the, at the start of cocaine bear. That movie was a lot of fun. Thanks for all the great content with post. Yes. You can catch our movie review. Um, that way is isolated on the YouTube channel. Way reviewing Quantum Mania and me giving my thoughts on Cocaine Bear. Did you react well for for Jane hearing that? Um, I mean, I recognize the song. I mean, it was a pretty popular song before Orange Cassidy, but uh, yes. Um, okay. Yeah. The all 20 right. people in the theater were all uh, they were all chanting loudly. Uh, 
Let's go to Jesse from the Six, who says, I worked as a house painter for over a decade, and I've seen a lot of ladders. You're never supposed to stand on the very top rung. I know because I've done it many times, and it's always a bad idea. I don't think I've ever been more nervous watching a ladder match and seeing Lil Hobbs reluctantly stand on the very top of a damaged ladder to grab <laughs> that ring. But what's harder than going up is getting down, and I was on the edge of my seat wondering how Hobbs would do it. He was clearly ill at ease, but he did it. Good for him. How about Sammy Guevara standing on the top of his? And then the, the guy is like non affected by any of this. Like the he, man is the most calm person when it comes to heights, jumping off stuff. Yeah, he did it like it was nothing. Like, I mean, he's done it a few times too already. So I'm sure that helps. But I think it's another thing though for like, you know, like a 200 plus pounder in, in a wool hobs doing it. Um, 200 with the damage. I mean, what is he? What is he that. legit? 400, you think? No, you think he's, he's not 400 that big. pounds. He's probably a good 340, I would guess. You think legit 340? Wow. That's uh, really that big. Would be, that'd be a guess. But yeah, uh, like standing on the very top rung of the ladder, probably never recommend it unless you're about the swanton off of it. All right. Next, we go to David from Israel. I didn't really feel this dynamite, even though they had a much hotter crowd than what WWE usually has these days. They didn't manage to use it to put on a good go-home show. Outside of the Danielson promo, I didn't feel any segment really built my excitement for the pay-per-view. And the way overlong battle royal for the second week in a row actually lowered my enthusiasm for the tag match. Seeing the competitors in the title match also makes you wonder what happened to AEW's top star quality depth in its tag division unfortunately some really bad finishes tonight like the butcher and the blade basically throwing themselves over the top rope for Danhausen, and the refs having to hold the ladder still for hobbs instead of having him just take a new ladder i'm sure match quality wise revolution will still deliver but for me the build-up to the show has been subpar i don't disagree with a lot of that like um if if i, I didn't sound all that enthused for the duration of this review i apologize but i think that's just kind of my general feeling towards uh the build-up to this pay-per-view you know the main event i think is in pretty decent shape um beyond that you know it, it, I, the match i'm most excited for is uh the young bucks versus oh sorry the elite versus the uh, house of black and and that's had no story attached to it and that's just because of the match itself again like we're talking about AEW pay-per-views and they almost always deliver you know we're almost always happy and we always give them like really good reviews because the in-ring content is bound to always deliver when you just leave it up to the talent but how what's what's your excitement level going to the show what's yours john it's um it's not at the highest level of of some AEW shows um yeah, I, I would say I would say it's lower than the the typical AEW pay per view. All right, well, let's go to Steve Grows Reed. Who's uh, Steve Grows Weed? Um, he says after what was a bit of a lackluster episode of Dynamite, I thought I'd give an update on our favorite and practical Joker, Brian Quinn. After he was put through the table by the JAS, he took two weeks off of his podcast, presumably selling the injury. The second week, his co-host brought up his absence and the reason why they had a hard time not calling the company WWE at what <laughs> at one point calling it AWE. <laughs> oh, the apocalypse, uh, or no, uh, mm. AWE. There's uh, never mind. Let's go on. This past week, he made his return and treated the whole thing like a shoot with tongue firmly in cheek, talked to lawsuits and blamed the company for not protecting him, said that they had things pre-planned, but that they took it way too far. I knew you guys were super curious as to the fallout of this angle. It looks super like it may curious. be continuing. Yes, I appreciate uh, that. Thank wow. you. Well, there you go. The saga <laughs> continues on Impractical Jokers. Uh, next is Pete in Texas. I feel the word of the night is sloppy. Never seen so many referees holding up ladders in a match. Oh, well, Wardlow seems lame. 
Kind of like Commander. Is Jungle Boy now the Undertaker? The tag team battle royal was what it was. I wish they would take time to establish Aussie Open in the kingdom. They were just thrown in and not everybody is familiar with them. Good fire from Brian. A ho-hum go home. I think the refs and security there were 75 people on this show. Let's see on Sunday. Way you should leave your kid with Granny and Papa Ting for a date night. Nothing brings people closer than closer together than Cocaine Bear. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of recommendations. You know, I know that's what uh, Braden Harrington and, uh, did for his uh, recent anniversary. So, is it? Would you recommend it for a date night, Cocaine Bear? Um, depends on how often you have a date night. If it's very rare, no, don't don't waste it on Cocaine Bear. It would only okay. be if if uh, you know you were dying to see it. And I'm not. I'm I'm alive. So don't. Uh, but okay, cool. Thank you for that, Pete in Texas. Um, I, I don't get upset about the refs holding the ladder. I know it kind of maybe, you know, is not logical. Uh, and I do think, yeah, it might have been better if he just went out and grabbed a, a fresh ladder. Um, but I certainly would prefer them doing that over nobody holding that ladder. Hobbs, poor guy, you know, I'm sure is already very scared climbing and risking injury. 270 pounds of powerhouse Hobbs, according to his build weight. So I, I overestimated. That's, yeah, a, that's was, a large was, dude. You don't, you don't still, want it uh yeah, I, I don't care as much, but climbing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't mind. I mean, in fact, it's just state of rule, okay? Like a kayfabe rule. If a ladder is damaged or if it's wobbly, a, a participant is allowed to ask somebody else to help. Would that satisfy? Oh. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, is it my turn? Yes. We got a, a Muggin who says the ladder match stole the show. Commander did some unbelievable stuff. Hometown Hom scoring the title shot does telegraph Warlow and Joe's outcome a little. Ricky Starks needs to get out of the Jericho verse ASAP. Jungle Boy needs to put Christian Cage in his rear view. <laughs> Danielson's Fight for Your Dreams Part 2 promo was terrific. Fatigue is going to make a coward of, out of either Friedman or Danielson. Word to Vince Lombardi. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know if, like, the feeling you want going into the, a pay-per-view is for people wanting these the feuds to just end because they've, they've seed it for so long. You know, not because they're very interested in who the winner and loser is going to be. I don't mind the Jungle Boy Christian thing at all. It's they're they're wrapping it up. They got delayed because of an injury that was out of their control. Um, like like what 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 is this grand uh, program that everyone's salivating for Jungle Boy to be in? If not this, something else. You know, something something involving a, another talent. Yeah, I agree that they needed to close off this Christian feud. I guess I just I don't know if it needed to be a, a pay per view match because I don't know if it's hot enough at this point to be a pay per view match. They haven't exactly like it's just been so drawn out at this point. And um, the, the the promo was fine tonight, and the video with the tombstone I think was fine. But I I would say I don't know if it's hot enough to like even feel like it should be on an AEW pay per view. We go to Jake. He says, decent dynamite tonight. Danielson made the most of the limited time he was given and closed the show with a good promo. As much as the show is intended to drive viewers to the pay-per-view, the Danielson promo was the only one that really felt like it may have moved some viewers who were on the fence. However, dynamite gave you an exciting multi-man ladder match. The standards for entering quality of this promotion are very high. They're matching it every week. I have a feeling in the back of my head that Revolution might have AEW's weakest numbers in pay-per-view buy rates. Is that unfair? This will not be their lowest. No, they... They are at a certain level. They are going to be well ahead of their their 2019, 2020 levels. But um, it, it, I, I don't see this one being anywhere threatening near the, their highest level either. Uh, I could certainly see a bit of a cool off 
from uh, from even recent uh, shows over the last year. Do you think it'll do better than uh, Full Gear? Full Gear, off the top of my head, was what like one fifty five ish. Um, I th- I think if if it was one fifty five, I'm just uh, throwing out. Uh, let let me just look up this. What okay, I'll do a, a next piece of feedback. I mean, um, I, I sorry to throw that 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 at you. Well, it, it, like let's just throw out one fifty five as a number. I think that that is um, that that's certainly beyond what I, I see the, the show doing. I, I yeah. would say honestly, like I'm looking looking here. Um, All Out last September did one forty. Forbidden Door did one forty. Double or nothing, one sixty-five. So double or nothing was certainly like the the high end of like what you would uh, have seen. Revolution last year did one seventy-five. I don't. They're not coming near one seventy-five. Um, I don't know if one forty is going to be hit here. I could see it being slightly below one forty. I would say hmm. one thirty to one forty would be my estimate going into this. Let's go to Sal from California, who says I was at tonight's show live and it was a blast. Ladder match got the biggest reaction, and we were all happy to see Hobbs win. Crowd was rabid for the Lucha Bros, and we were all a little deflated when they got eliminated. I'm about to drive home, so I'll keep my thoughts short. Thank you to the both of you for your hard work. Well, I hope you had a great time, Sal. Yeah. Cody from Maine, credit to Danielson, who delivered an excellent go-home promo within five minutes, but it's those five minutes that showcase just how crowded tonight's show was, with numerous segments that were given no time to breathe, primarily the House of Black attack on Elite and Christian Jungle Boy segment. The latter had less than two minutes between Christian being in the ring, the Brit Hater promo, and the start of the Hook-Matt Hardy match, a match which really had no business being on this card, especially when the main story is Hook gets the villain alone without stable interference, which is a very similar story to what's been told between Starks and Jericho. Speaking of which, was there really not a more creative final push for that feud? Main event was a bit of a dud for me as well, not taking advantage of the Lucha Brothers' star power in favor of setting up something with Davari and Woods. The current setup for the tag title match at the pay-per-view does nothing to add interest for me. I'd have much rather seen a straight rematch for the belts. Overall, not a bad show. Moxley and Hangman Pro and Hobbs getting a big win with a home crowd reaction were great, but my interest is the lowest it's been for an AEW pay-per-view since the pandemic days. So there you have it. Certainly a um, a, a lower expectation going into Revolution on Sunday, which, again, it, it might be a great show, but this is the discussion and this is the hype. This is what you are selling your show on. It's the pre-show interest. It's a lot of criticism about the creative on the show, you know. Um, in ring, I think they've they've de- de- delivered some really great dynamites recently. But all, what really matters is, you know, your build towards a pay per view and the long term stories that they've been trying to tell since Full Gear. For the most part, I feel like I've been pretty lackluster, um, with with the obvious, you know, exceptions, of course, uh, maybe in the main event. But I I I I I tend to concur with a lot of the you know criticisms and maybe about the lack of excitement heading into Sunday. All right, thanks everyone for your feedback, and we're going to be back on Thursday. It is our first of a month long look at Drive to Survive season five. So on Thursday. It will be a free show with Chris Elliott joining us. We will go through the first three episodes and we will be looking ahead to the first race of the season that is coming up this Sunday at 10 a.m. Are you ready? Is that right? Wow. Yeah. 
Unfortunately for me, this Sunday is a mess. So I don't know uh, when I will be watching this race, but I don't think it will be on Sunday. But nonetheless, we will be talking about that Thursday, Friday night. We are live at 11 Eastern for Post Wrestling Cafe members with Rewind to SmackDown. We'll go through SmackDown, Rampage, a quick preview of Revolution, and we'll share our thoughts on Ring of Honor of what we get to see of it because it is debuting on Thursday. And then uh, Sunday... 1 p.m. Eastern Time, UFC 285 post-show, and then late Sunday night, Revolution post-show here on the Post YouTube channel. So subscribe to the channel, turn on your notifications, give us a thumbs up on the video, and uh, join us for all of our live post-shows. What, what more could you ask for as soon as an event is over? Boom, we're right there in your face. Nothing, nothing. Okay. I'm off to learn video editing, and that is all for me. Good night.